Welcome to this series from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. So we minister to kids from kindergarten up through sixth grade. And so on uh, Sundays, I'm all the way in the back of the building teaching the kids. So this is a great treat for me to be up here in front of all of you teaching, most of you anyways, teaching adults. And uh, we say back in the kids' uh, ministry that... Um, that uh, teaching kids is more challenging than teaching adults. Because if we're not doing a good job or we're being a little bit boring, most of you will at least, as I'm looking at you, look like you're listening to me even if you're not. But with kids, that's not the case at all. And so we, we talk about how um, if you don't entertain the kids, they're going to entertain you. And it's a little bit like stand-up comedy, right? You get immediate feedback when you're teaching the kids. And if you're not being engaging and you're not being creative, then you've got a tough room on your hands. And so for me, this is really fun, coming up here and teaching adults. is a little bit different for me. Um, the other thing about teaching back in Res Kids is I have the honor and privilege of ministering with a lot of, uh, a lot of our volunteers and ministering to a lot of our families that are just amazing, amazing people. And of all ages, of all backgrounds, from young kids and teens up to seniors, uh, singles, uh, married couples. I mean, it just is really an honor and a lot of fun doing that. But it's also a privilege because I get a chance to walk, through, through, uh, walk with them through some very difficult things. Almost what Pastor Scott was saying about taking phone calls when, when he gets some difficult calls. And, uh, and so tonight I wanted to talk about some of those real-life really difficult situations that a lot of people are going through. And I know there's a lot of people, a lot of you sitting out here, that you're going through situations that are really difficult or intensely painful or gut-wrenching, however you want to describe it. I want to address some of those issues because we can look to God's Word and find power in the midst of all that and also hope. And so you may be a, a mom or a dad and you have a child that is suffering from really deep, deep depression or even mental illness. And you've done everything you can to help your son or daughter. And you're at school a lot, meeting with the counselors or the administrators. You're, you're at the doctors. You're dealing with meds. You're, you're, you're trying everything you can. And, and you just, you, you, your heart goes out to your kids. It's almost indescribable, the pain that you're feeling and you hear what they're saying about themselves, about, about how they feel about themselves, or even maybe there's issues of self-harm or even worse. And some of you have kids that are dealing with mental illness, and it, and it, it manifests itself in, in violent outbursts, sometimes at school or even in your own home. And it's directed at you, and, and you're sacrificing so much, and you love these kids so much. And then the anger and the venom from the kids that you love comes at you. That is so difficult for a parent to take and, and, and to go through. How do you handle that? How do you deal with that? And, and some parents, they, they, they know the building contractor's number by heart because they got to call them over to patch up the drywall in their, in their walls in the bedrooms because their kids are putting their fist or their head through it. I mean, these are real-life issues that people are dealing with all the time that some of you are dealing with. It could be uh, families that have kids with special uh, or, or unique challenges or needs that could be physical or emotional or intellectual. And you love these kids so, so much. And you know God loves them also and has a plan and a purpose for them. But it is really hard. It is hard. There are pressures on your marriage, pressures on your finances. It's really hard to find anybody to watch your kids 
and for you to go on a, on a date night. I mean, these are happening all the time. These are, these are struggles that families have in our church and even sitting in this room. Some of you have been through divorce, and, and you've, you've gone through it, or maybe you're in the midst of it now. And maybe you've been just absolutely, you were, you were betrayed by the person that was supposed to be your best friend, who's now become your worst enemy. And you only communicate through a lawyer. And you've seen your, your, your reputation ruined. You, your finances are a mess now because of it. Maybe you've lost your home. You've, you've lost sleep. You've lost weight. You feel like you've aged maybe 10 years in a few months. And, and worst of all, worse than any of that, is, is it eats you up inside about what it's doing to your kids. I mean, these are real-life difficult issues that so many people deal with. You know, it could be losing a job or a career. It could be um, people that served our, our nation, and they come back home, and they're dealing with their emotions because of things that they went through overseas. I mean, I could go on and on and on with, with different details, but I, I just wanted you to, to know that for all of those situations, all those unique situations, whatever you're going through, the Bible gives us incredible hope to not just try to make it through those situations, not just to try to kind of gut it out and somehow I'll make it through the day. No, that even in the midst of that with the power of God and the hope of God, that power and that hope that he gives us, that even in the midst you can have joy and excitement and, and enthusiasm, even in the midst of what are incredibly difficult and painful circumstances. So I wanted to look at that. I'm going to go to the end of the Bible, and we're going to look at two, two individuals, and we're going to see how they handled some really difficult situations in their lives to see what happened to them, what they were feeling or thinking, and then how they handled it so that we ourselves, when we're going through these things, when we're in the midst of this, that we can handle it in a way that doesn't destroy us, but yet gives us life, gives us hope, enables us to minister to other people, that fills us with the Holy Spirit. So if you would, please turn in your Bible, or if you don't have a Bible, just look up on the screen, to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I'm going to read at verse 3, and I'm going to bounce around quite a bit, but just within um, 2 Corinthians, the, the letter of 2 Corinthians, okay? So let me read the verse first, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. These verses were written by the Apostle Paul. And Paul wrote most of the New Testament, including two letters to a church in Greece, not far from the city of Athens, called Corinth. So there's two letters that we know that he wrote to them, the first letter to the Corinthians and the second letter to the Corinthians. And so Paul was writing to the Corinthians, and he was writing to them to encourage them. But he wasn't just writing from the standpoint of, you know, you can, you can make it. You've got troubles, and I'm going to be right there behind you, and just let go and let God. That's not what he was saying. He was delivering this letter to encourage them, and he's explaining that he himself is going through some incredibly difficult circumstances that he feels like he can't even live through. A lot like what we go through, a lot like what you're going through. All right, so we're going to look at some of those now. All right, so turn, turn with me now to, um, to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 at verse 8. 
Okay, starting at verse 8, 2 Corinthians 1, 8. So Paul writes to them, again, he's writing to believers, brothers and sisters in Christ at this church in Corinth, and he says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters. We don't want you to not know about the troubles, the situation that we experienced in the province of Asia, which is modern-day Turkey, when he was setting up churches and ministering to people. We want you to know what we went through. Because I'm encouraging you with the same encouragement I received when I went through some incredibly difficult circumstances. So now turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to look at what those troubles were. He said, I don't want you to be uninformed. And then Paul in his letter kind of went off on some tangents. But he comes back in 2 Corinthians 11 and he says this. I'm going to start at, I have worked much harder. Okay, second part of verse 23. He says this, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a day, excuse me, a night and a day in the open sea in the Mediterranean. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in, dangers, in danger from Gentiles. Jews and Gentiles, that's everybody, right? He's kind of almost being humorous there. I was in danger from everybody that was out there. In danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. People that I thought were my brothers or sisters in Christ that betrayed me, that, that, were, that were raking my name over the coals. That, that, were, that were saying all kinds of things and splitting my churches. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I don't feel weak? Who is led into sin and I don't inwardly burn? Those last two verses, those are for parents. Because Paul was saying, you are like my children that I birthed into the kingdom. And when you hurt or when you suffer or when you go through something, I'm feeling it too. That's, that's, that's what you feel like as a parent when your kids are going through this. So Paul is describing what is happening in his life. What's going on? What are the circumstances? Kind of like I just did at the beginning of, of, um, of this um, sermon. Now second, what was he thinking in his heart? What was going on? What was he feeling about this? Go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, at verse 8. And so I'll review. He said, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experience in the province of Asia. And then he says, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, if that wasn't descriptive enough, church in Corinth, indeed, I've got more. We felt that we had received the sentence of death. Paul was piling words upon words upon words. Four times he's trying to convey to them, I can't do this anymore. This is too much. And he's not just talking physically. He's talking emotionally as well. Spiritually, I can't do this anymore. And let me look at a few words. Let's look at a few words here that, that I translated from the Greek into the, to the English. And the word pressure, he says, we were under great pressure. Paul was saying, I was under an oppression, a burden that, that was so heavy that I didn't think I could make it, right? We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. I don't think I can go through this anymore. And then he says, so that we despaired of life itself. That word despair, in the Greek, we get our English word exasperated. And he was saying that I am utterly at a loss as to how to handle this situation. I'm at wit's end. I don't know what to do. 
We despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt, we felt we had received the sentence of death. That word sentence, the sentence of death, is a Greek word. It only occurs once in the New Testament right here. And commentators believe that Paul got that from Luke. And Luke wrote the book of Luke, in the Gospel of Luke in the New Testament, and the book of Acts. And he was a doctor. He was a physician. This is a medical term of, of an opinion. So a doctor comes to a patient and, and he asks questions, and he does an evaluation, and, and he looks at the circumstances and whatever the, per, the person's going through, and he gives an opinion. And Paul is saying, the opinion on me is I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to live much longer. We were under the sentence of death. So Paul had all these circumstances going on, and this is what he was feeling. Now let's look at how did he handle this. This is the Apostle Paul. How did he handle it? All right, Because so, so far, most of you should be pretty depressed right now. Because I haven't given you a lot of good news, right? Even Paul, Paul is saying, all this stuff is going on around me, and in my heart, I've given up hope. All right? So look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, kind of where we left off. I'll, I'll review it again. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but. Stop right there. He says, but. So something's going to change. He says, but. This happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He was like, I can't take this anymore. I am going to die. I feel like I'm going to die. But God raises the dead. All right? He raises the dead. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. So if you, another verse down. He says, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. What was Paul saying? Paul was saying, that we need to surrender to God, that when we die to ourselves and we realize we're not going to make it on our own, we can't in our own, in our own way, we can't make it. We can't just grind it out without damaging ourselves, our spirits, without something happening to us even physically with some of the issues that, that, that people are up against. He realized that God was not the cause of his pain, but the source of his hope. And he realized that to understand the power of God, he was going to have to die to himself. Jesus said in John chapter 12, at verse 24, he says, Very truly I say to you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. That's, that's what Jesus was saying. It's a principle in the Bible. When something dies, life comes from it. Paul was saying, I have to die to myself and my dreams, and my goals, and how I think I can extricate myself out of this situation, and I need to let God's power shine through and enable me to do it in the right way so I can glorify him. And then he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, he says this, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. We have this, tre this treasure, this hope of God's power, the hope that Jesus who died for us, loves us so much. This treasure is in jars of clay, is in us. Jars of clay, fragile, like a fragile vase. We, 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 can't, we can't do things in and of ourselves. We're very fragile, but we have this huge, amazing, powerful treasure to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. That it's God who is going to work in us to help us. And when you understand this, this is what happens. All right, so look at what Paul is saying. He says, now we are hard-pressed on every side, right? His circumstances, right? But not crushed. He said our circumstances are, we're perplexed. 
We're confused. We don't know what's happening. We, we, can't, we can't understand this, but I am not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Now the circumstances are the same as he always had, but his heart's changed because of the power of God. He's died to himself, and now he has hope. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. So first, he died to himself to allow the greatness of God to work in him. And secondly, secondly, what I want to go to now is he placed his hope in heaven, in eternal life, in the glory that was to come. So if you look at a few verses further on, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, at verse 16. This is an amazing verse. This is one of the first verses I learned when I was a brand new Christian. I was 26 years old, just reading the Bible for the, for the first time. This is one of the, the first verses I remember. It says, therefore, right, given everything that Paul was going through, everything we've talked about already, he says, therefore, we do not lose heart. We do not get discouraged. Because though outwardly we're wasting away, though outwardly the circumstances that we're in are dire. They're, 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 they're horrible. I don't want this, but outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly in our spirit, man, we are being renewed, we are being strengthened, we are being empowered day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. All right, I'm going to read that again. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So to, to explain this, I want to get a, uh, bring an object lesson out. As a children's pastor, I feel obligated to do this. All right? You always got to have, we always try to have, our rule of thumb is to have three object lessons when we're teaching kids and I'm caught up on something, okay? So what I want you to do is to pretend that this rope that's attached to the side of the wall there, that this rope is eternal. It just, it's going down 44th Street, out down through Lake Michigan, through Milwaukee, out Washington, Seattle, China, right? It's, it's eternal, right? It's, it's never ending. And this green, if you can see the green coloring on the end of this, this represents our lives, your lives, and so what Paul was saying was, he wasn't saying to them, you know, your troubles, they're not really that much. They're just light. They're just momentary. Get over it. He was not saying that. He was saying the troubles, the difficulties, the suffering that you're going through are light and momentary when you look at this, the eternal glory that's to come, heaven. When you look at what you're going through, but you have hope of what's coming, this engulfs this. Those verses that we first read from, from uh, 2, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, it says, as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, his comfort overflows. And what Paul was saying is when you have a vision of that, when your hope is, is in this to come because you know your sins are forgiven, because you know Jesus died on the cross for you, then this, it's hard, it's difficult, but it's light and momentary in light of what is to come. He was giving these people hope. He gives us hope. That when we go to the Bible, we can see the power of God at work in our lives, and we can see the hope that we have. He says in Romans chapter 8, so it's Romans, a different book, but it's still Paul writing this to another church in Rome at verse 18. Romans 8, 18, he says, I consider that our present sufferings, it's exactly what I'm just talking about. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be, will be revealed in us when we're eternally in the presence of God. 
So Paul died to himself to allow the greatness of God to occur in his heart and for God to take over. And he placed his hope in heaven, in eternal life, in the glory that was to come. Now I want to kind of start wrapping up a little bit by talking about somebody else from the Bible. So that was Paul. And there's somebody else that suffered greatly, that, that didn't have a home to live in, who had a family that didn't really understand what he was doing. He had people stalking him, very dangerous people, trying to assassinate him or, or trap him. His reputation was always called into question. He had a few friends, some best friends, one of whom absolutely betrayed him to his death, and a few others that left him in his hour of need. And a few hours before he was going to be executed, Jesus was with some of those friends, and he wanted them to pray while he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He asked them to pray while he went over to, uh, while he went over to pray to God. And he was saying, he was saying, Lord, if, take this cup away from me. That's part of the verse. Take this cup, meaning I don't want to go through this. I, he knew what was coming. He knew the torture. He knew the death he was going to die for us. He said, I don't want to go through this. But yet not my will, but your will be done. He had to die to himself. Even Jesus did to, to obey God the Father. And, and then, and then he, he did it. And he did it for us. He was humiliated in a sham trial and beaten and spit upon and then tortured and then crucified on the cross. And he did it because he loved us. He did it because he wanted to give us freedom. If you read Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. It says this, we are fixing our eyes on Jesus, right? We need to fix our eyes on Jesus. He's the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Who, and this is talking about the cross here, for the joy set before him endured the cross. So he had joy set before him. Paul was saying, you and I need the joy of what's to come to give us hope in our situation. In, in Jesus' situation of dying on the cross, for the joy set before him, we were his joy. The freedom that he was going to give to us with the forgiveness of our sins, that was set before him. That gave him the hope. That was something that he could look to and endure the cross. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. Think about him. Whatever you're going through, in the midst of whatever situation you're dealing with, consider Jesus. Think about him who endured such opposition from sinners. He did not deserve any of it in any way so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus died to himself, and then he had a hope ahead of him, right? And that's what we need to have. So let me wrap up with this. You should be asking, you should be saying to yourself, I hope that this is some good stuff, that I want to go back in my Bible and reread some of the stuff, that, that this is helping me to understand maybe how I can navigate through in a way that glorifies God and, and gives me hope. I hope you're saying that, but you should also be asking yourself, how can I make that real in my life? How can I make that real? I mean, I kind of understand that. I know that, but I want it to, I want, I want it to work in my life. And there's, there's no magic formula. There's no silver bullet. But I'll tell you two things, and then I'll explain it. Two things. Very, very simple, but it takes discipline on your part and my part. Praying and reading the Bible. It's praying and reading the Bible. Because both those things draw you closer to God. And the closer you are to God, the more you realize his power. And the more you realize how amazing and awesome he is and how much he loves you. The closer you are, the better you're going to see him. 
and the, and the more real his promises are going to become, and the more real heaven becomes to you. So let me, let me illustrate it this way. I lived in New York City for five years, and I remember the first time that I, that I came in on a bus into Manhattan, and like you, if you've never been there, I had seen all kinds of pictures of the city. Um, it's in a lot of movies on, on TV, so I kind of knew what it looked like. But we're, we're coming in, and we're in New Jersey, maybe about 15 minutes away, and all I could see is one building at that point. Because New Jersey is a little bit on a bluff as it looks down on the Hudson River. And so we're, we're coming up. I could see one building, the Empire State Building. And I knew what it was because I'd seen pictures of it. And I remember thinking, <clears throat> that's not quite as impressive as I thought it was. I was a little bit let down. Because I, was, I don't know what I was thinking, but it just didn't look as cool as I thought it would be. And then as we got over the bluff and we're coming down to, to get into the, uh, the Lincoln Tunnel to go underneath the Hudson River, it was a little bit closer and looked, you know, a little bit bigger, but I still was kind of disappointed. But a few days later, I walked down Fifth Avenue to 34th Street, which is the corner where the Empire State Building sits. And you walk up to that building, and I don't know if any of you have ever seen it or been up close to it. It is massive, even by modern standards. It was built in the middle of the Depression, 1932, but it is huge. And you, you can put your hands on the blocks of stone, and if you look up, you can almost get dizzy. It's huge. It's massive. And what, was, what the problem was when I was in New Jersey was my perspective. I, it was far away. It didn't seem that real, that cool, that amazing to me. But when I was up close to it and I could really see it and experience it, even touch it, it changed everything. It's, it's our perspective. And when you're reading the Bible and getting into God's word and you're talking to Jesus, you're praying, you're getting closer to him, you're reaching out to him, and the closer you get to him, the more real he becomes, the more powerful his power becomes in your life, the more real heaven and the hope that we have of eternal glory becomes, and that changes everything. And this isn't about guilt and condemnation and, and having to read a certain amount of time. If you're like me, when I first became a Christian, I had never read the Bible. I didn't have a Bible. And so I remember reading just for a few minutes, a few verses, and just praying a little bit. That's all you need to do if you're starting out. Just, just do that, a few minutes, but, but be disciplined. Carve out intentionally a part of your day or day and night when you can spend a little bit of time praying, a little bit of time in the Word. If you're already doing it, increase it a little bit. But I want to challenge you with this. I want to specifically challenge you. Tomorrow, tomorrow's Thursday, obviously, and it's 30 days from tomorrow to Thanksgiving Thursday. 30 days. And I want to challenge you to pray and read the Bible, to start doing that, seeking God, reaching out to him for your situation for 30 days, starting maybe tonight, tomorrow morning, and do it until Thanksgiving. And I will, I'll use the word guarantee, because God will honor that. I can guarantee that when you wake up on Thursday morning of Thanksgiving, you will be able to thank God for what he's done over the past month in your life, no matter the circumstances. Even if the circumstances don't change, your heart will and that makes all the difference in the world. Allow the Holy Spirit to work in you and to touch you and to give you that power and that hope that you need in any situation that you have. Let me pray for you. Father God, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, your word gives us so much hope. And Lord, I pray for that comfort that, that overflows, even in the midst of sufferings. I pray that for every single person that's here, no matter what they're up against, big or small, 
something that's been, just started, something, some journey that they've been on for a very long time, I pray that your comfort would flow over into their lives. And as they begin to grow closer to you and seek you and spend time with you, I pray that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit and show them your power and show them the hope that we have as children of yours. And I thank you, Father. I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would lead and guide every single person here. Bless them, fill them, help them in their situation, Lord. And Lord, I just pray that you would give them just amazing hope. The power of you, Father God, the power of God in their lives and hope. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Now, I want to ask you a, a question. Actually, I want to ask a couple questions. You may be here for the first time. Maybe you are a brand, brand new in coming to church. You were like me. You've, you've never read the Bible before, and a lot of what I said is brand new to you. But you feel like, like God has drawn you here because it's not by coincidence that you're sitting here now. You're here because God has brought you here. And what we'd like to do is we'd like to, to seal that or we'd like to confirm that, that, that you are here and God has a plan and a purpose for you. Pastor, Pastor Doug last week talked about how God has a plan for every one of us, that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. He has a plan for you and we want to pray with you. And you can know for sure that you are right with God, that you are a child of his, that you can have his power and his hope because you have the forgiveness of sins. And the Bible says that you don't have to wonder or hope that your sins are forgiven. You can know that when you confess your sins, you admit them, he is faithful and he is just and he forgives you of your sins and purifies you of all unrighteousness. That is a promise. And the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that that actually happened, that that was true, that you will be saved that you will be saved. So I, we want to pray for you, but I also want to pray for people here that, that you, you love God and you believe in him and you know what, that what I'm saying. You've maybe even read some of the verses. You know what I'm saying is, is the truth, but you've drifted away. And, and specifically, you may be drifted away or gone distant because of the situation that you're in. Maybe you're even bitter toward God, which is a very common thing for people to go through. It's very common. Or, or there's something, there's a rift between you and the Lord, and it's really difficult. But God would say to you, I believe that I love you so much, I want you back. I want you to come back to me. I want to fill you with my Holy Spirit. I want you to have hope and, and joy and peace. Come back to me. I am not the cause of your pain, but I am I am the one who gives you the hope and the power. If that's you, we want to pray with you as well. So I'm not going to ask anybody to come down front. I'm just going to ask if you're in either of those situations, you, you, just, you want to pray, you want to have Jesus, you want to know that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, or you want to come back to him, just slip your hand up in the air where I can see it and we can all pray together. Is there anybody here that you'd say, that's me. I want to pray. I want to pray with you right now and confirm what God is doing in my heart. See a gentleman in the back. Anybody else? Anybody else? Don't let this moment pass. If God is doing something in your heart. Thank you. I see a woman in the back. Anybody else? Awesome. Okay. So I'd like to ask not just the two of you, but all of us to pray this after me. All right? So pray this after me. Say, Jesus, I love you. 
And I thank you that you love me, that you died on the cross for my sins. And I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me for all my sins, to come into my heart, to be my Lord, my Savior, and my best friend. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, Lord. And I choose today to love you and to follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this series. For more information, call 616-534-4923 or visit us at reslife.org.